and whenever you want to go get fitted for a tux, for the tux, it's like a, it's just like a standard like nice spear wank thing with the time to put it on. The yeah. best suit you'll ever wear. <laughs> Wait, what's that from? Men, Men in Black. Oh shit! It's not like I'm gonna kill you. I'm not gonna suit. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Talking During the Movie, the show where two jackoffs talk about new movies and movie news. I'm James. And I'm Mike. And this is episode 95, Mike and James's Day Off. We're shaking it up now. <laughs> we are. And we're going to be talking about Incredibles 2, that's the big, the big uh, feature that came out. And we're not going to be talking about Jurassic World because I just talked about it. Spoiler alert. It's a piece of shit. It's really awful. Um, and I'm sorry that I watched it instead of watching Hereditary again. I'm I'm waiting for, like, one of the Jurassic movies to have the tagline, like, when will mankind learn? Which is both a reference to the... Which would both be a reference to the dinosaurs and also the continuous production of Jurassic movies. <laughs> well, who knows when... When we're going to learn, will God forgive us, is my question. <laughs> I, I also heard Jeff Goldblum is in the movie for about, like, 30 seconds total. Oh, like yeah. I, no, he he basically Laura Derned it in Jurassic World 3. Uh-huh. Jurassic Park oh, 3. Oh. Wait, Laura Dern was in Jurassic Park 3? Yeah, she, like, literally phoned in her role. Okay, that part I do not remember. Like, she was literally on a phone? Yeah, no, she was literally, she was talking on the phone to, like, Alan and whatnot she's the one who like saves the saves a movie from a climax oh remember when jurassic park 3 almost had a climax and then it was just like laura dern called in the military oh yes yep now they get away oh i forgot that was laura dern okay great okay she like literally phoned in her role you know the difference is is that as to my recollection laura dern was not all over the marketing for oh yeah well i mean come on but it's it's just jeff goldblum you know (laughs) i i i must have during the Super Bowl, I must have seen him say "Life Finds a Way" about thirty times. Hilariously enough, the line wasn't in the movie. Mm-mm, no, yeah. actually, I think that is kind of merciful, though. I was, I was really afraid they were gonna. I rebel. Oh no, no. It was something, at least. Come oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. You 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 presented to me the the contrarian point of view that said that that would have improved the scene. Uh, yeah, because it, it would have improved her character very marginally because it would have given us something about her. I'm just, I'm just not sure it would have been worth it. Uh, I don't know. That's that's a good point. <laughs> it's also two seconds, so maybe it would. I don't know. It's. You know, speaking of Star Wars, <laughs> we did not plan this segue. Um, you know, I know it's a subject that we barely talk about here on Talking During the Movie, but uh, <laughs> Star Wars: The Last Jedi during the movie. Um, so apparently, it's despite the fact that it has been over six months uh, since mm-hmm. the Last Jedi came out. People are still mad. Like mad, really, man, mad, it's, mad, mad. It's not even the newest Star Wars movie anymore. And no, there's there's been another Star Wars. There's movie. There's been a whole another Star Wars movie. Well, a Star Wars story, 
Mike? Oh. Not a prequel, mind you. Yeah, not at all. No, not at all. We don't like prequels. I think it would be worth kind of... I'm sorry. I'm actually kind of sorry that... Oh, well, here's here's another news item, too, that I can kind of like Frankenstein in here. Um, Disney's uh, and Lucasfilm are, are putting a pause on all future side story Star Wars movies. Oh, they are. Yeah, after the lackluster performance of Solo. Um, My God. I'm actually very disappointed by this, really, believe it or not. We're not going to get the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie? That's not why I'm disappointed. <laughs> I No, really, though. I'm, I'm more convinced than anything, though, that that was what they were setting up with with uh, Solo. Like A lot of people are like, oh, there's so many ways they can is. go with this. I'm like, they were setting up the there's Kenobi one way. There's one reason you reintroduced Darth Maul. Yeah, it's a rematch, baby. Hmm. <laughs> hey, speaking of rematches, Creed too. No, I'm not done. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I I I want to get the segue. Like the segue was perfect. We got it out of the way now. So when we abruptly switch over to Creed later, we we, we already did the segue. So amazing. Um, that's how segues work. Um. So, I mean, I am bummed about that because it kind of like limits it to the. I don't know any any complaints about the Star Wars universe being too rigidly confined to like a hero's arc narrative. I, I only this only I think feeds that whole sentiment, and I don't know. Despite the fact that I haven't been a big fan of either of the anthology films, I, I see no reason why they couldn't get better. Like, there's no that's the thing about them; they're not beholden to any of the other anthology films if something doesn't work you can just forget about it well yeah it's kind of like they can just throw a million things at the wall and see what sticks and i'm fine with it you know i I think that's their chance to turn i mean again it's suspended it's not like it's gone forever but it's their chance to look to really um i mean if they're gonna have any chance of turning their the star wars film their star wars film franchise into anything as well-oiled and efficient as the marvel movies i think that was their ticket and you know i don't think giving it up is necessarily the the best idea um although now maybe star wars movies will start feeling a bit more special again i don't know having having one come out a year and then in this case one come out not even a full half a year after the previous one just i was kind of like getting a bit sick of it. it it started feeling more like a like a an assembly line product well that's really what a lot of people were saying hurt the box office of solo and that it's yeah. like they you know it was it was fatigue more than anything else people just didn't care to see another star wars movie like yeah like six months yeah i don't know i'd like buy that because that's kind of how i felt and i i mean really thinking back on it i don't have that much to object to about solo it, it it's just that it didn't feel like anything special to me. I said as much during our review and I kind of had a hard time finding constructively critical things to say because it's not on a technical level deficient or anything. It, it, it aims low and hits the mark. Um, and it just didn't feel like, I just didn't feel that compulsion to go see it. Mike, I'm going to uh, do a little, I'm going to do a little uh, fact checking for you. We didn't, we didn't actually review Rogue One. <laughs> 
I mean, mean solo. Mean solo? Wait, we didn't? No, we didn't. No, we talked about it a lot because I, we saw it I, together. Oh, that's right. That was during our, like... So, yeah, spoiler alert. I, uh, I apparently have a hard time telling the difference between real life and podcasting because <laughs> I... This was just one of the rants that I went on uh, when I was talking to James at some point when we were kind of taking a break for a bit that's why we have a podcast it's just to give structure to our normal film discussions that's it i guess hold us to some sort of discipline no matter how flimsy it is well now the thing is we can have we can have our hours-long conversation about movies that that you know don't further our lives in any way and and our significant others can't say shit yeah they can't say nothing (laughs) no i'm recording my podcast you are my future wife (laughs) I'm, or if, but if I'm just like on the phone with you like at 2 a.m. And just like, go the fuck to sleep. Stop talking to Mike. You've been on the phone since 2 p.m. The kitties are starving. <laughs> no. no. Um, I, yeah. So, yeah. The funny thing is this wasn't even the story that we wanted nope. to talk about here. Nope. Nope. Okay, so the story we want, I, I actually cannot wait to talk about because it's so funny. Um, apparently angry fans are so not over The Last Jedi that there is a pop, uh, petition that kind of went viral on Twitter um, a, calling for the film to be rewritten, completely remade by a new team. Um, the, the petition insisted that it would be a team made up of people who both hated The Last Jedi and loved it, um, oh. but uh, that it would... Um, basically uh, redo the second part in this trilogy under the conviction that The Last Jedi as it stands is so harmful to the mythology uh, set up by the original trilogy and by The Force Awakens that it simply cannot be allowed to stand and must be be rewritten. Um, Ostensibly, under the umbrella of, of of uh, total representation of all perspectives, but uh, really predominantly by a bunch of men with with fedoras and beards. Um, oh man, the fedoras and beards! <laughs> sorry, come on, <laughs> that's not fair. I'm sorry. Low hanging internet. Yes, fruit. I know. You James. did a film's journalism. I saw you do it. I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. We all have our moments of just uh, of laziness. Okay? Unbridled rage. I, I got lazy. Regardless, I just find it funny. Now, I find uh, it funny that it, you know, not that not that a, a film is disliked that I enjoyed a lot and that I I like more as I think about it more and, and watch it again. I, I actually enjoy the Last Jedi more as time goes on, and I'm not saying people have to feel the same way. I, I still hold it's fine to have some objections to it. I have a couple myself, but the it's just like you hear about the toxic reaction of the fan base and how shitty they're being to the cast members and how poorly they're reacting. And then this, and then this happens. I mean, I'm not convinced that all of these aren't like bots from Russia designed to stoke further either. cultural di- dissonance and, and get Donald Trump reelected. I'm um, um, you know, actually, with I, that possibility in mind, continue. <laughs> I know I'm not either. This is like, it's <laughs> right now. At this moment, I mean, look, 
We got a reality star in the White House. Mike and James talk politics during the movies is on. I, <laughs> I, I, I pop, pop culture is politics now. Like that's just there's no delineation between the two. There, so no, I don't think it's that paranoid to suspect it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Honestly. just saying it's like they, you know, I just read an article in the Times. Uh, I guess that tells you all you need to know about me. Um, uh, <laughs> read that rag. Um, well, just about how like how criticism of Donald Trump falls literally on deaf ears, and it just makes it just makes supporters like dig in more, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so like when these stories come around of people like you know saying like oh these anti-feminist Nazis in Trump supporters you know want to redo the last Jedi, like. That's just gonna make people dig in more and be like, no, that's fuck true. you. That, that's true. And can I can I truly say, I I do despite the fact that I just took a low blow, I I do not fundamentally do not think that this is primarily a movement by Trump supporters or even necessarily vehement anti-feminists. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's predominantly a movement movement. I like the biggest air quotes I've ever given in my life um, <laughs> by, by people who have ascribed all of their self-worth to cultural artifacts of their childhood and mm-hmm. don't know how to deal with something with, with this one product in an endless stream of disposable content that this one product doesn't conform to what they think it should be. Yeah, so so here's the thing. My, my thing about this, and I've said this a lot, like if you want, and I, I've, I've made this point to you before, and I've thought about it more and expounded upon it in my mind, but if you want The Last Jedi to not be what it is, in my mind you have, you have one way to do it. Now just go back in time, or stay in this current time, because you can rewrite movies in the current time, I guess. Um, <laughs> And write out, "I am your father." Mm-hmm. If, you, yeah. if that if that is not if that if that line does not happen, then the Last Jedi is a wholly unnecessary movie, because the entire point of the Last Jedi is that a Jedi can be anyone. You know, it's 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 a it's coming to terms with the sense of in, inheritance and lineage that the. I am, a, I am I am your father. Twist kind of set a precedent for in the Star Wars series. Exactly. You know, I mean, like, and and you could you could do it, and I think in a way that would even make um, Return of the Jedi better. Um, that that I do agree. Um, I think it would make I think it would make Empire worse, and I, I still think that. Yeah, I have no. That's the thing. I have no idea how Empire would end. You know, because, because the the twist was so good because it didn't. You know, it was hinted at thematically throughout empire like right luke was the, the fact is that luke has no real reason to turn to the dark side um so this element where there's like sort of a family like there's a family tradition like almost like he's afraid of following in the footsteps of his father that's a way to kind of make that conflict believable and in fact just to make it even plausible he would potentially turn at some point um, because without that, you have just a, but like a boring good versus evil conflict with no uh, emotional gray area in there whatsoever. So I think you make Empire worse, but you do get rid of this whole 
this this really hindering idea in the Star Wars series that if you are given a call to action, that means that you are related to someone important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, in Last Jedi wouldn't make any sense in this. We wouldn't need a movie like that without I Am Your Father because that established the idea of, of dynasties, of Jedi right. dynasties. Oh, and, and you know what? Like, shit on metachlorians all you want. It was this line that established hereditary force. Metachlorians was just a label. Like people, mm-hmm. people shit on that line all the time. They're like, oh, and and Star Wars, since the first one, has not once br- said that word again since Phantom Menace because of how many people hate it. And yet, still hereditary, mm-hmm. still runs in the family, which would imply that there is some sort of genetic resonance to it, such that Ray people are so upset because they say oh she has no reason to be powerful the reason yeah. of course being it does not run in her blood right like, but so, wait but wait with james 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 you you got to be careful there it almost sounds like you're and i know this is just ridiculous but that you're accusing huge swaths of the star wars fandom of being big fucking hypocrites <laughs> that if you took it that way um, I want you to know that that was locker room talk. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so, grab them right by the midichlorians. <laughs> um, no, and and look, like to me, to the the whole, it would be so much more powerful. Like, let's say instead of Darth Vader being Luke Skywalker's father, let's say Darth Vader killed Anakin Skywalker. Like, they are two separate characters. Anakin Skywalker was killed by Darth Vader and then rather than the return of the Jedi having to oh forgive my father for the things he's done it's like I have to forgive somebody for killing my father I have to not kill the person to not take revenge on the person who killed my father and thus not succumb to the dark side and in turn forgive him for everything he's done, including killing my father, and thus that does two things. One, it's a much stronger it's a much stronger reaction from Luke to say like, "No, I will not take revenge on you," rather than, oh, "Come on, Dad." Um, and, 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 Dad. And it actually makes Darth Vader's turn to the light side, back to the light side, um, much more uh, again, much more powerful because. It's not just like, well, I, you know, I've killed scores of children, but you know, I can I couldn't stand I could stand watching my son be electrocuted for like 15 seconds. Like it's it's not that. It is it is instead I have been forgiven, which is something that no one has done for me in my entire life. Everyone has wanted to kill me for what I've done and now I I've met someone who hasn't. That is powerful. Um I I mean, think about this too. What if they used the original twist? Do you know what the original twist was? Obi Wan killed your father. Killed your yeah. father. Yeah, <laughs> because then you still got this. You still got this huge emotional crescendo at the end. Again, all that allusion to Luke maybe becoming his father, or maybe becoming Darth Vader. Um, you know, that would kind of be a lot more half-assed and and quick. yeah. <laughs> um, but. All those, like, everything that you just talked about would be even heightened a, a bit more because, you know, uh, it's it's coming back from all that, plus Luke having to find redemption 
in this person rather than, you know, who he's sticking up for because he's his dear old dad. Um, <laughs> but uh, in just this guy who fell from grace so hard that he murdered both his own Luke's own father and his teacher, yep. both, you know, um, maybe maybe Luke wouldn't be so, you know, I maybe he wouldn't suck so bad in Return of the Jedi. I do not like Luke in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like Monk Luke. I, yeah, I, no, I mean, I don't either. It's just not a good... It's weird. It's like the one thing I don't think Mark Hamill can pull off very well. Well, I mean, it's just like, yeah, I, you know, in Return of the Jedi, it's like, no, I know there's good in you. It's like, could you say that if he wasn't your dad? Right, like, exactly. Wouldn't it be more like meaningful if you saw that in someone who wasn't your dad? That, yeah, I mean, and then if you want to do the prequels too, you could show Anakin, like Anakin separate from Darth Vader. You could show Anakin, you know, He's mm-hmm. exactly what he's exactly what uh, Obi Wan says he was. He's a very accomplished pilot. You know, maybe he's not even a Jedi, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe he's not even a Force user. He's just a pilot, right? And then Has he ever actually met. Wait, no. I mean, he alludes to him being a Jedi because the lightsaber is like your father's. Yeah, this is your father's. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sorry, I was like for a second, you're about to blow my mind. I'm like, wait. Are you? Is that right? They never actually say that he was a Jedi at all. No, no, but they do say he was a pilot. They know? do say he was a pilot. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, honestly, I mean, and that is something that's a lot more believable to be like a lot more understandable to be like, oh yeah, my father was a pilot. It makes sense that I have the same skill set that would be required of a good of a good pilot, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then and then right off the bat, you have a character who is not from Jedi blood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're following him. So I'm but, just saying. But it. It's just a Mary Sue, a Harry Stew. I, I don't know what they call the male version. <laughs> Harry Stew. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's, <laughs> that's my thing. If you if you want to remake the Last Jedi or to make it make a world where the Last Jedi doesn't isn't a, a movie, then rewrite rewrite Empire. And honestly, it's like it could probably be good. You know, just the same. It'd be a lot different. And as as we both said, it would rob cinema of one of the greatest twists of all time. Uh, but it, it, if, you hate, if you hate The Last Jedi that much, that's the source right there. It would make Empire worse, but kind of undeniably make the series better. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I mean, I still think they could have done other things with it that, that weren't so terrible. But the, the, what has come about from that twist is... Uh, arguably not worth the twist itself i i don't necessarily agree with that but you know it's there's a lot of not good stuff that's come about from it so Mm -hmm. either way just look if you're upset with the last jedi that's fine you know what think about why because you know what i would like to see something on youtube i would like to see a, a video reflecting on the last jedi that didn't start with this movie is an abortion of a is of a film something that my 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 dad my and my cat would dig up from the yard they like took the star wars movie and threw it in a pile of shit like it is cinematically unredeemable or anything like that you know it's like it's very very extreme takes you know because there you can take very measured criticisms against the last jedi we can't Mike and I both did when we reviewed it. Go back and listen. You know, it's like Look, we we loved it, but we had reservations, mm-hmm. and we still do. I, I mean, I at still, least I still I, do. I still know. do. They just matter less to me in 
having going back and revisit it, I like and and seeing the movie for what it is as a whole more than individual moments. Um, I just find it such a well constructed, well thought out movie that both celebrates Star Wars and upends it in a mm-hmm. really tactful way that even if you don't like what it does, like on a fundamental level, you don't like that direction from Star Wars. I feel like there's an articulate reaction to have that I have not seen in any of the Star Wars The Last Jedi is the worst movie ever videos that I've seen. And there are so many. I, I found one today and I'm like, oh man, please tell me this was posted in like late 2017. It was posted yesterday. Oh God. <laughs> they're still making them and they're not any better. No, I've I've it, I told you I have like, this thing that I just cannot avoid. I cannot help myself from watching these shitty videos, and just like, and just hoping, hoping one time. Not that my mind is changed, but that I, I am listening to someone make uh, right. reasoned, measured criticisms of the of the of the Last Jedi. Like I don't and think I will I, change my mind, but I'm I'm happy to have a discussion about it because this is clearly the most divisive Star Wars movie that we've ever had. Well, I mean, screw Star Wars movie. Look, I was I was told I was told this by uh, by a young politician named Devlin Sweeney, um, who occasionally listens to my podcasts, uh, <laughs> and he said that every every generation there is a social change that uh, that generation does not understand, or that mm-hmm. a portion of that ge- portion of that generation does not understand, and thus becomes conservative. And I think that is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Maybe, maybe like, that's maybe that's Star Wars: The Last Jedi for Gen Xers. Yeah, <laughs> like it seems to be mainly Gen Xers who don't respond to it very well. Basically, anyone who was like growing up in the '80s mm-hmm. with Star Wars paraphernalia everywhere and neckbeards and fedoras. Damn it! Damn it! <laughs> okay, you didn't even you didn't even need to do that one. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's like, come on, I took the bait, but but you like grabbed it. Alright, you grabbed it from the surface. You pulled it down, you're just like, uh, oh, I'll take it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Internet Troll. I, I just we don't uh, But it's, I mean, yeah, I do think it's kind of crazy that they brought Drago back, right? Or Drago Jr. Oh whoa. Okay. Didn't you say we already did the transition? We don't no, need we to. did. I just want to make sure I didn't like go through a time warp. Really? <laughs> Again. Um, Creed two follows the adventures of young Adonis Creed as he continues his. Now we've gone into the future gritty, and we're reviewing it. What's, what's happening? Everyday life in Philadelphia, um, with a with an approach of with a. Uh, a, 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 an approach of guerrilla realist cinema combined with the very bold move of taking the fucking aesthetic from Rocky four. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's what I like about this one. One, I want to point out that it was, it was, but maybe four weeks ago that I was like, my Creed two is happening this year. And you're like, now, and now there's a trailer <laughs> movies so, happening. It's really happening. Um, and two, I like that. I mean, I don't know what like is the word I'd use. So, I mean, Rocky Four is the most hilariously jingoist uh, installment in the series, I think, where it's, you know, like, oh, the Russian, big bad Russians murder an American hero. And, um, 
then our other American hero has to avenge him. And the Russians are using steroids, but then, like, Rocky is, like, uh, doing sit-ups in a barn, you know, like, you know, a nice farm where, you know, good Americans are. And then, like, he beats him, and it's so cool because, like, we're better than Russia and everything like that. And now, apparently, like, jingoist Americans, like, love Russia. But, hey, it's 2018, baby. Anything uh-huh. can happen. Um, but now I love that they're taking that conflict where, I mean, Rocky Four was, like, was, you know, the Red Scare in a movie. It was the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, it was, like, it was America versus Russia. It was a grand scale. And I love that this one looks to be a much more personal struggle where it's like i'm it is not russia fighting against america it is creed you know adonis creed trying to defeat the man who killed his father in the ring that to me is a a a more interesting conflict than go america fuck russia oh and by the way all the 80s action stars were juicing as well don't kid yourself (laughs) You know what? I haven't actually, as much as I've watched Rocky Four, I haven't watched it post doxing scandal. So, or sorry, post uh, doping. Doping. Doxing is doxing is a very different thing. Don't. Um, I haven't. I haven't watched. Michael it Laden post- lives at one one two nine. No. God damn it. I. Um, I haven't watched it post doping scandal. That it's probably so much funnier now. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Rocky, yeah, Rocky Balboa or Sylvester Stallone. Let's, Sylvester Stallone got that way by doing sit-ups in a barn. That's how it happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's 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 the good old American lie that we tell ourselves, right? <laughs> yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, yeah, no, no juice whatsoever. And really, once again, James, if you think about it, it all goes back to Reagan. <laughs> um, <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so. Three three prevailing thoughts uh, from me coming out of the the Creed two trailer. Um, once again, using terminology like I just sat in a theater, watched a thing, and I'm not reviewing it. Um, <laughs> one, um, one. If they are at all going to have a Adonis Creed exist in the same universe. I, I know it was always in the same universe as Rocky Four, but like, not really. <laughs> um, like, let's be real here. It's it is a very different. A, a, anyway, if they're gonna have the Drago lineage exist in the same universe as Adonis Creed, um. I do hope they go about it the way you're describing and make it a bit more personal because if they have this be a continuance of the ancient feud between Russia and the United States, um, this movie is going to be horrible because everyone knows that if Russia wants to take over the United States, they did it. And <laughs> it already happened. It already happened. And if it hadn't, all you have to do is inflame a bunch of racists and white supremacists on Twitter. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. Mm-hmm. You don't need a you don't need to get a boxing champion. That's a very antiquated idea that belongs in the '80s from which it originated. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so I hope you're right. I hope they go that angle because thinking about this 
plot of the Drago lineage uh, descending from the the czars of Russia, uh, who apparently saw their path to global conquest in the between the ropes of a boxing ring, um, just does not jive with the aesthetic of the original Creed for me or the original Rocky for that matter. Which brings me to my second point. Um, I find it hilarious that for the rest of the trailer, it they still seem to be keeping that aesthetic of like a very grounded, very like, you know, cam on the streets, you know, low, um, low production film for the rest of the movie. Um, but then they're introducing, uh, a character who calls back to the most gaudy and ridiculous and insane Rocky movie ever made. <laughs> um, and like, I will say bold, bold move. Good on them. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that it does seem like they're sticking for the most part to what made the original creed. So, so satisfying, like a, a return to kind of a return to the, aesthetic of the original Rocky movie, something that feels very like, you know, low, like no fanfare, uh, you know, almost like a cinema verite type of type of shooting. Um, while at the same time, clearly taking the plot in crazy new directions. Um, which, which then just really quick leads to my third thought, which is just, the elasticity of the Rocky movies in terms of their tone and the type of subject matter they can broach is insane. And that's part of what makes me love it so much as a whole series, because you go from, from, from gripping social realism in one movie to a roided up eighties action buddy romp in the, in, in Rocky three to an insane political allegory in Rocky four and then back to basics with Rocky Balboa and Creed. And other than Rocky five, there's not a movie I would take out of this series. <laughs> yeah. You could, you could probably I, take I, out I, Rocky five. <laughs> no, you could absolutely take out Rocky five. That is a bad movie. But other than that, I enjoy all of them. Um, I, I, I don't think they've really had a misstep other than that one. So, I, well, I don't know how it works. I don't know how all these things exist in the same series, but I love it. Here's my thing, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna say this um, again later in the episode. So you know, I'll probably just be unoriginal. But I'm not sure about the arc in Creed, the arc of Adonis Creed in either of these movies. From what I've seen, um, okay, you know, because in the first movie, it is, you know, he he wants to fight, and people say. He probably shouldn't do that, but then he fights, and then changes not one bit. <laughs> um, I, I I do forget one thing, um, which is I guess a pretty big thing. Did he win the final fight, or was it like the no? It original? was like Rocky, where it was like Rocky, where he goes the distance and just yeah, and he actually he knocks him down, and it was the first time that his opponent had ever been knocked down. So okay, okay cool. So he you know, like, like pre- he won the night type of thing. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which. I mean, despite the fact that that's just a riff off of the original Rocky, I I'd still like that. I prefer that way more to like, oh, the hero gets everything. Um, well, 
it's like he gets everything that matters really but you know also a bit of a bit of real life interjected in there too like i don't know yeah, well, and I think I think in Rocky it kind of worked, and it kind of worked in. I think it. I think this arc worked a little bit better, I'll say, in a perhaps not as good movie, but a movie I liked a lot, Eight Mile. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So in Eight Mile, it was actually like a really understated like climax because it's like it's this awesome rap battle. He wins, you know. It's what he's wanted to do since the start, and what does he do right afterwards? He's like, I'm I'm going back to work, you know. Mm-hmm. And right before that too, like he had sort of just gotten more hours, something he's been fighting for, you know, he's like he's he's just wanting to become an adult, I guess, instead of wanting to become like famous you know, or big or Yeah, you know, B Rabbit next. uh B Rabbit uh rap star, you know. <laughs> that that that's true. And like saying Rocky wanted to be Apollo in the original Rocky is a horrendous misreading of that entire film. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. So Whereas, like, like, in Creed, Adonis Creed, like, wants to be... Maybe he doesn't want to be... He doesn't want to follow in the footsteps of his father, sure. Or but it's about wanna, that pressure. It's about that legacy. It's about Yeah, he wants to be great. Son. He wants to be a great boxer. And people say, hey, fighting has consequences. And then he fights, and there's, like, no consequences. So, again, I'm not really sure what sort of arc he went through. And in the trailer, it kind of looked for Creed 2. kind of looks like they're doing the same thing. Like, this is a more personal conflict because this is the guy who killed a- Apollo Creed. But it's still, oh, hey, you probably shouldn't fight. And he's like, but I got to fight. Well, yeah, but you probably shouldn't fight. And then he, he will probably fight and <laughs> learn nothing. <laughs> so... I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like I, you know, if they if they don't want to explore the that question of of should you should you be fighting, maybe don't bring it up. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe don't make it a part of the movie in the first place if you don't care. Yeah, I agree with you. I and really, it didn't strike me watching Creed, but I mean, the fact that you basically have. I mean, the conflict of a guy who has to start out the film as, like, basically a, a, um, you know, working for a loan shark and going to, like, threaten to break people's thumbs for not paying back, Um, (laughs) you know, and then having, A, that be your hero at all, and then, B, have them just, like, their goal just to be to prove that they're not the piece of trash that everyone thinks they are. Um, is a more compelling story than just like, oh, hey, I've like, you know, I've I've grew up and I've grown up at this mansion and my, and my father's shadow and I really just want to make him proud. And I got like a really good job, but I don't want that job because I, I don't want box. that job. I want to be true to myself. And like that is I, I like, look, it is a compelling story, at least the way that Ryan Coogler and, and Michael B. Jordan, you know, play it. Uh huh. But it's not just objectively, it is not nearly as relatable or like compelling. Like, it, it, that, that just doesn't inspire my like inspire me to root for it in quite the same way. So honestly, the fact that they made the movie Creed as inspirational as I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, is a testament to how talented the filmmakers are. Um but also, though, from that perspective, I guess it's not really that bad that, you know, Creed 2's kind of maybe getting a little bit more brazen with how how much it's entrenching itself in the mythology of the series. 
Um, <laughs> because it's really like, you know, despite all the social realism, realist filmmaking going on, it is, it is part of the Rocky series and it is about the son of Apollo Creed, the biggest boxer in the world for a time. True. True. So, Hey, I'm actually quite excited. It, it looked, uh, it, it looks well shot at the very least. Um, and it had Kendrick Lamar and, uh, really I'm kind of expecting it to be Creed again, but, uh, with a, a silly family grudge thrown in the mix, um, that I will enjoy quite a bit, although nothing nearly as cool as the one take fight from the original. So, uh, Oh yeah. I don't know. That was awesome. That was so cool. Um, I still think, yeah, I don't know. My prediction is it'll be good. It'll probably be like the Rocky two. It'll probably be similar to Rocky two where it like kind of betrays a bit of what the first movie was and was trying to be, but also is like perfectly enjoyable in its own right. And yeah, normally, normally what I watch for in sequels is are they having the characters learn the same lessons? And in in this case, I was worried about that, but I'm like, wait, what lesson did he learn in the first one? (laughs) I mean, the thing is if they, if they start from the perspective like Rocky two did a good job because it started with Rocky, like actually struggling with his newfound fame. Right. It didn't. Yeah, definitely. didn't need to prove himself again. He's just like, Oh fuck. How do I like exist now in a world where like, they're trying to make me a serial mascot. Like that's weird. <laughs> I just want to like marry the cute pet store owner that I, I fell in love with in the first movie and, and you know, start a family and, and be happy. Um, and that was good. It, like, that's why we love the character. So, I don't know. As long as they don't have him ruminating over legacy um, and, you know, maybe have him try, you know, come to terms with like, like maybe his relationship starts breaking up because of the, uh, because of the new pressure put on him by like his, his former match and this new guy, like, I I don't know, do something different. I think they can, Uh, there's nothing stopping them. There's no reason um, that I can think of other than just laziness. So, yeah, I don't know. It's I'm excited actually. I am. I think it'll be good. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, no. I mean, I'm excited too. I'm surprised it's coming out. <laughs> I I am too because so much so I actually forgot that you had told me it was uh, it was coming out. It's a real it's a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I can forget it now because I'm too pumped for the Drago rematch. <laughs> Not really a rematch, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The revenge. Symbolically. Are we feeling incredible? Feeling pretty incredible. Let's do this. Um, let's do this. So, The Incredibles came Ooh. out a whopping 10 years ago. <laughs> no, it's more. Oh, wait. wait. It's probably You're, way more. Uh, 14? 14. Yep. 14, 14 years ago. ago. Yep. Amazing. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? And now we have a sequel. And and also remember, this se- Incredibles two was originally slated for next year. Yeah, it was originally um, slated for summer two thousand nineteen, but then uh, Disney decided to give us a one year reprieve from Toy Story four. That I'm still holding out hope we'll never see the light of day, even though it totally will. I thought you were saying you were holding out hope that it's going to be good. I'm like, what? No, why? No, I'm not. I'm holding out hope that like. Either Pixar has a change of heart and realizes the grave consequences of what they're doing. What are you doing? Why? Oh, the world just ends before then. 
And who knows? It could happen. We're on the way. We're there. We're we're almost there. We could, we could do it. <laughs> um, story for 2019. Like I think it's thing is I think it might be too late. You know. Like my guess is that. Uh, yeah, like a lot of the animation work has already happened. You I know? know it's a foregone conclusion. It's not like <laughs> guys pull the switch. It's it's it, we're not doing it anymore. What we just we just spent five years rendering the animation alone. I, I'm just p- putting the finishing touches on Woody's eyes. Like yeah, no, sorry, <laughs> it's over. Mike and James still want it. Mike and James, these two these two jagoffs. I don't know if you heard about them, but uh, they got some wacky ideas. <laughs> They don't like. They don't like. You know, Empire Strikes Back, and no. <laughs> um, I'm happy we got this one instead, uh, if for no other reason than being able to pretend like this isn't inevitable. Toy Story Four. Um, instead, we got a, a sequel that has been one of the more popular suggestions for Pixar sequels. Um. Of which there haven't been many. Like most people don't, other than the Toy Story, the, the other Toy Story films, that rounded out into a really nice total package as a trilogy. Um, people don't really seem to be that keen on Pixar sequels. Um, at best, I think at this point, a lot of people are kind of just resigned to say like, well, okay, we'll let them do like the uh, well, as if they have any choice. But like, all right, do the do the car sequels pay the bills um so that you could do cool things like coco and original you know and inside out and like just original ideas that are the reason we fell in love with your movies in the first place yeah i mean you know they're coco and inside out are great obviously um but remember sandwich in between those was the good dinosaur finding dory and cars three <laughs> so Ooh, which are the sequels that i'm talking about paying the bills um and the good dinosaur being perhaps the film I, I constantly forget exists and then even when I remember it exists, forget that it's a Pixar film. Right. I it's so weird. But I, I just my my point is that I think over the last few years Pixar has been not I don't want to say a slump because I'm not trying to make a statement of their overall quality. But a weird transitory period, and I'm not really sure what they're trans what they're transitioning into, <laughs> um, because you know it's we're far from the days where Pixar is making a hit every time it puts out a movie. Like Pixar is no longer like a guaranteed awesome la- label. There know? was a th- there was a like four year period with that i felt like that was the part where like that, that was the time when i was probably at like height like peak pixar enthusiasm um because you got four years in a row ratatouille wally up and then toy story 3 and even then if you take out the film directly preceding ratatouille which was cars which mm-hmm. was still fine um you had finding nemo and the incredibles and I think even Monsters Inc. before that. So like yeah. just an unbroken string of, of great movies. And like you couldn't be you couldn't feel more assured that you were putting your money in a good place if you were gonna go go to a Pixar movie. And I've never you're right, I haven't felt that since I haven't felt 
that that could be an unquestioned conviction since 2010. Um, because, you know, Cars 2 sucked. <laughs> the Good Dinosaur really sucked. It's, that's, I think, actually my least favorite Pixar movie of all. Um, you know, B- Brave has its... Uh, it, Monsters University and Finding Dory were really nothing special and i finally did see finding dory after all this time um shit do you know that you know that brad bird is the only person to solo write and direct a pixar movie i didn't actually know that and he um, said it twice although it's not too surprising um cause the only the only pixar film that i know besides his that have been solo directed uh is uh i think wally by andrew stanton and uh, even then, I, I knew he wasn't the. I knew I knew there was more than one writer on it. Yeah, I mean, it's officially credited as as him and Pete Doctor, but uh... wait for, for oh, writing Wally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, cool. I was like, Pete Doctor has nothing to. He did not direct Wally, and I know this because I adore Pete Doctor. <laughs> and uh, no, who actually? A quick, quick news item, by the way, that I forgot to mention. He has been put in charge now of uh he's like i think i forget what the title creative director he's he's the head honcho now oh yeah Pixar. no i saw that yeah yeah um which i i'm very happy about i don't think they could pick, they, i don't think they could have picked a better uh person to replace john lassiter mm-hmm. um he is, yeah he's like i think the most consistently awesome person working there <laughs> um yeah I'm, I'm i'm super stoked about this but um so anyway yeah I, I agree with you we haven't really been able to kind of make those blanket statements about pixar since toy story 3 but interspersed between all those mediocrities are films that i do genuinely think rank among pixar's best yeah including well m- namely inside out and coco mm-hmm. um but like for me those movies are so good that that is enough to compel me forward and i i still have a lot of hope that not hope even i know that there's still so many creative talented people working at pixar and making new content for them it's just there's a lot of they're not coming as consistently as before so incredibles 2 kind of feels weird going into it because you're not really sure which side this is going to fall on because on the one hand you have the creative mastermind behind the original um as much as you know an animated film has a single mastermind i I think brad bird's as close as it comes you have him returning um and it's a film that there has actually been some considerable um enthusiasm from fans about a sequel even though it didn't really need like people keep talking about the cliffhanger from the original film (laughs) As well, if I, and it's funny, I never saw that as a cliffhanger. Not once. It's not. No, it is functionally not a cliffhanger. It's a. It's a. It 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 just puts it's a bow. Structurally on this, not a cliffhanger. It, it puts a bow on the idea that hey, this super family that's been put down by society and uh, has grown apart just because it's a fucking family in a Brad Bird movie, no less. Um, finally, feels you know like like they've they've reinforced their relationship enough and feel confident in themselves and their abilities to the point where they feel like they can be heroes again despite you know the the how society views heroes like that was what you needed to know from that 
that that didn't warrant. I, I wasn't waiting 14 years in anticipation for what the uh, whether the underminer was going to get away with his plan. <laughs> oh boy! I uh, I love how quickly they like got rid of that idea. I too. love that they even though I love that they did address like I I love that they did start there. Oh yeah, right where right where this, everything this left film off. You does know? start immediately after the first uh, the first Incredibles film. Um, with the scene that everyone said warranted the sequel, um, but yeah, it's disposed of pretty quickly as it should have been, and is actually never resolved. By the way, the underminer gets away. Oh yeah, <laughs> and spoiler never, alert: he robbed bank and he got away. He got a lot of money. And, away, and they never find him. He is sitting pretty on an island somewhere. There's yeah, or under the island. I don't know. Yeah. Which, if that's a, I don't know if that's a subtle dig at the the people who thought that that was instrumental to a sequel, but I find that very funny. It, it was pretty entertaining, yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess the question to answer now is, was this a cynical cash grab on Disney's part slash punishment for Brad Bird's Tomorrowland underperforming, which I've also heard uh, theories about, huh. or is this a meaningful addition to Pixar's library, or somewhere in between? So, so. Uh... I think on the part of Disney, this was a cash grab hands down. Um, of course. I mean, because I mean, if you I, recall, like this movie was in production before Brad Bird signed on. Like mm-hmm. he, I think the only, the only, when the movie was announced, Brad Bird was signed on only as a writer. He was only going to write it. Yeah. And then I feel like the more he realized that this movie was going to happen without him, the more he was like, well, it might as well happen with me. Um, yeah. And that said, I feel, you know, I have some reservations about Incredibles too, um, and it's it, I feel like in the in the the landscape of Brad Bird movies not named Tomorrowland, <laughs> I think this one had um, the least impact for me, the least immediate impact. Whereas, like, I didn't leave the theater with the same feeling I had watching not just The Incredibles, so I'm not just holding it to the, its sequel, but but The Iron Giant or Ratatouille, for that matter, or, or fuck it, you know, Ghost Protocol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's been sort of a, a journey for me. Like, th- I've, I've seen this, I saw this movie probably at least a week ago now, and it's been sort of a journey for me, like, really trying to unpack it, like... Why didn't I? Why didn't I love it? You know. Yeah, I mean, I know why I didn't love it, um, but I really, re- I actually really liked it a lot. Oh um, yeah, no, I mean, and as a, because I, I, I think the reason is because this just fundamentally isn't a movie that needed to be made, and it it especially wasn't a movie that justified a fourteen year gap <laughs> in between the original and this. Uh-huh. Um, and it's to the point where the first thing that, cause you know, now Pixar does for every single one of its films, it does like a little intro bit other than the cartoon, which by the way, we should talk about in a second. Cause that was very interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. I uh, anyway, believe that. I was, I was prepared for I, the kids in the audience to just start crying I, yeah. immediately. I'm like, holy shit. How did they do I this? I mean, but, but I, I have figured out, as I said, not really like I have it, but you know, I've, I have a lot of ideas about why this didn't stick. And one of them, 
I think it feels like like I, I mentioned this is solo solo written and directed by Brad Bird, but when I look at the movie as a whole, it feels like it went through at least two or three rewrites mm-hmm. by different people, um, mm-hmm. or maybe even by the same person who just like because a lot of ideas feel like they were introduced and ideas in terms of themes and character arcs that were just weren't followed up upon and and that uh, to me gave it a gave it that feeling of well why did this why does this movie exist like what is this movie what does the incredibles have to say that is different from what the incredible like, sorry what does the incredibles 2 have to say that is different from what the incredibles said well that's the thing though isn't it it's funny because you're not the only person I, i've heard uh mention that um i think movie bob um the 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 same guy who who uh, offered basically the best defense of the last jedi as a love letter to star wars fans that i've ever that i've is, yet is seen movie bob a film joy no it's he does uh he, he posts for geek.com I oh think okay it's, um, but you know, I watch his YouTube reviews of, a he, he does contemporary, you know, just like quick, um, like five minute videos for like new films. Um, he's got more ambitious stuff too. And like video essay, um, content, but that's what he posts most often. And uh, I watched his one for Incredibles too. And he mentioned the same thing about how it just feels like they used every single idea for a Pixar, for a Incredibles two that they had over 14 years and just kind of like Frankenstein them together. And uh, it's funny because I know what you're talking about, but watching the film, it didn't play like that to me. It, it felt like there were obviously a lot of elements to the to the plot, but it felt pretty. If they did Frankenstein them, it felt pretty seamless to me. Well, I, think I don't know. Was, I mean, I'm not. I'm not I, really I think, talking about. I didn't. I haven't heard this criticism. I'm not really talking about strict plot. I, I, and for me, it comes. There's there's two there's two things in particular. Okay. Um. One. And this is actually when this was introduced, it got me fucking jazzed. I uh-huh. I was so excited for them to like explore this. When, um, so I mean, Incredibles two, it follows up directly afterwards. Um, but then uh, after the failure to capture the Underminer, heroes are still kind of looked at strangely. So then there's this one guy who comes back, who who introduces himself and is like, hey. I'm a big businessman. I think with some clever marketing, we can get heroes back into the public eye and get heroes liked again, right? Um, and I would have, I was so excited to see that because I even say at one point, oh, he's a little nostalgic. Someone says that about uh-huh. him. Yeah, yeah. And with this context, I'm like, holy shit. Like, this movie's about to, like, criticize itself <laughs> like well I, like yeah. i was thinking it was gonna go a bit more a bit more like well I, to me it introduced this theme of of is it is it best to bring back superheroes is this fascination with superheroes warranted yeah um, and in the context of an incredibles 2 movie a, a 14 a sequel to a 14 year old movie that seemed like a really interesting theme that again they introduced and didn't follow up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had uh, that. I did kind of have a, a similar feelings about because y- you're basically, you know, Incredibles one came out at a very interesting time when you know it was the same year the original Spider Man two came out, mm-hmm. um, and superhero movies were like 
at that point a weird pop culture fascination like there had been some really solid ones at that point probably epitomized by spider-man 2 um for me because i can't get over it um and people were thinking like hey there's like this is weird. This is like they're they're financially successful to the point where they're like actually upsetting the the landscape of blockbusters. Like, but at the same time, we're still getting like Catwoman and shit. So like, they hadn't really <laughs> had gotten an identity by that point. People weren't really sure what to do with superhero movies, and I think the original Incredibles kind of spoke a lot to that. It married, um, it married like very traditional old ideas of superheroism, um, and like you know classic golden age stuff with sort of a modern uh more grounded take on family life and like you know like the soul crushing nine to five grind and <laughs> and it even epitomized it in the retro futurist like art style and it, it just felt like such a a brilliant take on hey. hey sorry um it felt like such a brilliant take on uh this genre that was kind of coming into its own for the first time in at least a decade um, that um, you would think a sequel to this uh, coming out 14 years later in a in a movie landscape that is now dominated by superhero films made by a subsidiary studio owned by the same parent company as Pixar. <laughs> um, you would think it would have so much more to say about it. Um, particularly like you said with the introduction of this notion of nostalgia culture and uh you know our fixation with um savior figures whichever whichever persuasion they be of um and, and whichever form they take you know those are and those are those are themes that are basically given lip service in the film and not develop much further and well, yeah, that, that's the thing. That was it felt a almost like disappointment with me. I too, I agree. Yeah, it felt almost like uh, the you know like the Rogue One like rewrites, where you could still feel that some of some of those themes that it, they appear to be going for of like you know how does how does this war affect you? How will this <laughs> war change you as a person? Yeah, you know, to what lengths will you have to go, and are you are you comfortable with that? You know. Um, you could still see that some of those themes were there, but they weren't fully explored because it was rewritten so many goddamn times. Um, and that's sort of what I thought with that instance. I'm like, that's an interesting idea that goes nowhere. Um, and the other one for me, and this is where I said I said I was going to say this again. I'm not sure uh-huh. about the arc for Bob. Oh, um, yeah. Because I mean, that's like, that's actually my biggest. It's funny. I think we're on pretty much the same page with Elise's opening points because that was my far and away my biggest uh, hang up about it yeah, coming well, out. Of and it. I, I liked it at the beginning, and I liked it at its midpoint. Uh, see, I, I did. Like the... I don't like it at its midpoint. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because its midpoint was okay. Maybe this is because I had a weird fixation on the movie, the Steve Martin comedic comedic remake, Cheaper by the Dozen, when I was. Oh, when God. I was growing up, um, but which, oh, weirdly enough, also came out the same year as the original Incredibles, um, <laughs> where there is a, a large segment of that movie where the, you know, the mother is um, away 
for I think she got a book deal and it's like taken off and doing pretty well. And the dad's left at home to take care of 12 non superpowered children, which is, you know, pretty equivalent of three superpowered children, one of sure. whom has arbitrary. Uh, one of whom is interdimensional. <laughs> interdimensional, which is a wonderful touch. Um, <laughs> and it played. Num num cookie. The. The. The fish out of water. Oh, I'm a dad, but I'm taking care of my kids for the first time. Like this is, I, I don't, I don't get this math. What the fuck? Why would you change your common like, core? What? Like, <laughs> what do you mean your schools are underfunded? Who's, <laughs> who the fuck is Betsy DeVos? Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, but like that whole bit, I had seen just too much of that by now and it felt so old hat it didn't feel like it belonged in a movie in 2018 at least not one by like what is supposed to be a cutting edge animation studio well you know? yeah i mean and it, it was on it was a little hard to it was a little hard it was very hard to to identify with bob when he's all like when his when you know uh elastigirl helen is doing very well and huh? he is like he, he is having the hardest time that anyone a harder time than anyone should have supporting their spouse um i was actually well, well, like being happy for her i was actually confused about his motivation because look if he had been characterized as that kind of an asshole from the beginning yeah right well which i mean I don't, which i don't think he was ever uh, you know i would no, yeah, i mean i definitely got that he he seemed to be attracted to her power you know um, well, yes it, well, in, and, in the original incredibles it was like yeah i'm that she's she can keep up with me you know right and like he's always kind of had this idea of like exceptionalism and wanting to celebrate it rather than oh, here, co- here comes the ayn rand by the way by <laughs> the way um because i know you're gonna bring this up at some point um i know that the writing during the one family dinner table scene early in the film where they basically just devolve straight up into a discussion of Ayn, Ayn Randian objectivism versus <laughs> the, the the greater good uh-huh. the, of, of universality. Uh-huh. Um, I, I know it, it shamelessly devolves into a philosophical debate, but I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I don't, I, I, the thing, I, I watched a, um, I, I watched a video on this because it's, it's, the Incredibles two, you know, bef- in the lead up, you got to expect a few hot takes, right? Of course. Um, and one of the hot takes is, oh, orig- the original Incredibles is is, you know, Randian propaganda. That, that's not that hot. That's been a thing. Oh that- yeah, I know. It's been a thing for a while. It's lukewarm at best. And and the vi- the video was the the video's take was essentially like, yes, there are a few themes that are undeniably. Right, of, right. of Ayn Randian. Yeah, of Ayn Rand. absolutely. You it's, know, the idea that certain people are exceptional and you just have to get past the bureaucracy to allow those people to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that that's that's Ayn Rand. That right? is. That said, uh, uh, one of his strongest points was that looking uh, looking at the movie as a whole, the uh, Ayn Rand reading doesn't really hold up. And partially was that's because the the one person in this movie who is unambiguously evil and unlikable is an insurance salesman <laughs> <laughs> like that's the kind of guy that no. iran can get behind and the movie hates him no that well that's the thing the, hates the, him the most soul-crushing bureaucracy is not from the government it's from this fucking 
ruthless evil capitalist. So it's at the very least, it's got like gradations. It's not propaganda is what I'm saying. It, it could definitely acknowledge the Randian themes, but at the same time, it's also fundamentally interested in like, I like that it acknowledged the human side of its heroes and like wanting to prove themselves, but also they were undeniably for the public good. You know, they never were trying to do it to stand above or to spite the rest of the world, which is very much an Ayn Randian principle. Well, yeah, and that's and that's the, was mainly the other point that it's like these guys are not self interested, right? Know? Right. Um, they which, just want to be themselves. They want to be able to express themselves, and that's that's a relatable riff on the Randian philosophy that isn't quite so well evil. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, and bring but, that brings us back to to know, Reagan. This, this I agree. Character. So no, not to Reagan. Reagan. <laughs> that brings us back to Bob, okay. whose character in this one does seem a bit self-interested, which does seem out of place, A. But B, I sort of like took the took it on its took it at face value. Where I was like, okay, there's they have set up Bob mm-hmm. as a character who wants to succeed as a superhero, to do what he has always wanted to do and yeah. hasn't got the chance to in several years, and he wants to do that. But the sort of the arc is that you know maybe there are other ways to to be a hero right yeah uh, then rather than putting on a costume and saving people and that's why i like it at his midpoint too because at that point where he's being the most unlikable when he's saying like you're doing so well and i'm just here at the kids that's when he like he learns to be like a better father you know like he stays up i, I was actually kind of touched by the point where even at the height of his frustration he makes a cup of coffee and stays up all night studying Common Core, and then wakes up and helps Dash, uh, helps Dash understand it. Makes lunch for his kids. I was like, you know, you're right. This it's rote and it's old hat, but mm-hmm. it it was to me at least a convincing midpoint of this arc of uh-huh. someone who needs to learn other ways to be a hero. But at the end, he's a hero in a costume stopping a boat from speeding into a city yeah and so i'm like what did he learn (laughs) no no, right nothing and and, well and okay and here's the biggest for me the biggest transgression of the whole thing i i don't understand even what his i actually don't entirely understand what his arc was supposed to be because seemingly he started off the film on the exact same uh uh, on the exact same grounds that he started the original Incredibles, which was just like, you know, society's keeping us down. And Helen, if you have an opportunity to go be a hero and get the public to like you, you should go do it. Because, it, like, he didn't say those words, obviously, but that was kind of the implication. Like, he wanted, like, Helen was trepidatious about it, and he was encouraging her to go do it. Yeah. Um, And then she gets the opportunity in a way that you know is implied like hey this is going to be good for in the long run for all superheroes and you'll be able to be yourself and then we get this like weird machismo hang-up going on with his character that i like okay i understand he's a bit like he's a bit of a chauvinist at times but never in a way that like felt nasty or mean and and I, I don't know. I felt like it crossed a line for me to the point where his character then became about being able to accept the fact that his wife is the quote-unquote breadwinner. <laughs> and that's just not what I wanted out of Robert Parr as a character. Um, well, yeah, I mean, to, 
to me, I think it was his character. What his character arc was solidified in this scene where the the business exec guy. Um, I can't remember his fucking name in this movie. Um, I, I Winston. Winston. That's Winston. Winston Dever. De- De- okay. Yeah. Um, You're probably right. I, I just no, you are right. I'm sure you're looking it up. Um, yeah. Right, yeah. The screen's right in front of me. <laughs> okay. Um, but I was scanning this screen to find his name. I wasn't just pretending to not know and then remember. <laughs> um, so Winston, when Winston is telling him, hey, we're going to start with Elastigirl because not every problem requires your kind of solution. Her, her collateral damage is way lower than yours, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was, I thought that was a wonderful touch. Like, yeah, no, I mean, the, but the idea was that not every problem can be solved in the way that he often likes to solve them. Mm-hmm. So that to me, whereas like he started in one place, like I want to do this. And someone was telling him there are other ways. And so his arc then became having to determine those ways. But again, he didn't, he just put on a costume at the end and stopped a boat from speeding into the into the ocean and yes he did it yeah. with the help of his of his family as was the first one which brings me to my was, in, yeah. my whole point is that i don't think this movie did anything different or ultimately said anything different than the than the first incredibles the first incredibles in my mind said two things one superheroes are good and b families are good incredibles two families are good check superheroes are good check I've learned nothing else. Are you glad you waited 14 years for this? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I'll, I'll, I, go on. I, I think there are differences, but in just kind of details and subtleties that don't ultimately add up to a fundamentally different takeaway, you know, mm-hmm. or really any kind of development. So I do agree with you. I like the fact that the... Uh, the villain there are not there's not actually much i like about the villain in this because it's so painfully obvious from (laughs) the beginning who the villain is like before you even there's one time and i think this is probably pretty this is pretty um pretty wise on brad bird's part there's one time where i questioned it was when she when helen is actually fighting um, a person fighting the person then it cuts back no, to, that, 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 me too, me too. Yeah, to when you see Evelyn, you're like, oh, shit, well, she has a rock salad alibi there. Um, mm-hmm. But then as soon as you find out, which, again, a very obvious thing where it's like, oh, the, his goggles are a screen. I'm like, and, and I found that out, and I'm sure everyone did, way before Helen actually found it out. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, it you was, gotta check the goggles. Are, are you kidding? I can't believe, like, she saw the, the train conductor. She saw him. You could clearly tell he's hypnotized, and yet she, like, goes, by the time she goes into the train and confronts him, she's like, you better have a good story. I'm like, he's clearly not in his right mind. Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> he's just uh, staring at a flashing seen, screen without haven't blinking. You, haven't you ever seen a superhero movie before? <laughs> come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and so, but as soon as the whole goggles thing, I'm like, yeah, okay, it's 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 Evelyn again. <laughs> like, um, you almost had me, Brad Bird. Honestly, the biggest surprise for me. Okay, so you said it was Evelyn. You you know, just to be clear, but my biggest, the biggest surprise for me was just that Winston had nothing to do with it. Oh yeah, right. Like I thought they would be in cahoots. Although in retrospect, it makes sense because there's a little touch. Um earlier in the film that is actually what I think most distinguished Evelyn as a, as a villain that made her a little bit, uh, a development on 
um, syndrome from the first one, but just yeah. a, again, just a little bit in a way that doesn't really matter all that much. But I like that she was coming from the perspective of someone who not who had been like who had idolized heroes was screwed over by them and basically just wanted petty vengeance uh-huh. or like just had an in, had an inferiority complex. She just like she actually had like a, a fundamental like I'm disgusted with how people want supers to solve all their problems because my father could have lived if my brother and our family hadn't operated under that conviction and they had just used the safe room and, and, and couldn't that, couldn't that have been a great cog in that arc that the movie was trying to set up or almost set up right yeah like where that, something where a villain actually challenges the person because in this one it's like no you're wrong superheroes are good <laughs> here's the thing like to me that did give her uh, like it gave me more sympathy with her than than it otherwise would have and i felt that through to the end but they never do anything else with it once she's established as the villain it's just okay well now she's just someone to beat but hey she had this pretty compelling idea that maybe you might want to think about uh-huh. whereas like black panther it's so integral I, I don't know why i'm bringing in black but just like in terms of a villain well, who's no, I get it. characterized and humanized to a point where like it, you know he, he becomes iconic you know that philosophy is at the core of every single scene he has in the movie and it's it, like down to his death scene which is still heartrending and memorable and i can't believe that was in a fucking disney movie um that line i should say that he says um like like to me that that took its villain's conviction seriously whereas incredibles 2 kind of used it as a pretense but then ultimately like taking away this very minute specific details it's the same thing as syndrome someone who was screwed over by supers in the past and therefore wants revenge on supers well yeah i mean the best villains are ones who like challenge fundamentally and and have what the heroes stand for and and even such that they kind of make them reconsider that you know and Mm -hmm. like i you know you brought up black panther i'll bring up civil war you know it's like he he was antithetical well he had an antithetical idea to superheroes right right right. (laughs) as a concept and yes it was it was born out of out of tragedy, out of personal tragedy, which, which mm-hmm. made it a bit about revenge, but it was also like, you guys, this is not sustainable. You guys agree, and I'm going to prove it, you know? I think my biggest problem is not that, it, it's, it's not anything intrinsic in the film itself. It's just that if you strip away any, you know, any uh, superficial, uh, deviations from the previous film it's the same arc it's this time it's helen instead of bob but clearly they're a bunch of supers in a world where that just doesn't appreciate their abilities they want to be respected for it and they come into contact with a powerful wealthy person who thinks they might be able to make that happen but who is ultimately uh, entwined with a villainous force who wants revenge on supers for some way they were screwed over in the past and then in the end they come together and uh, defeat this person prove the naysayers wrong show that the supers are great after all and end chasing down 
a car full of criminals uh, that I'm <laughs> sure for the next 14 years people are going to say requires a sequel in order to explain what happens with that car. <laughs> um, it's like, which, holy shit, you've missed the point. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like that summation makes it seem like I, I dislike this movie way more than I actually did. Because I actually, again, I quite liked it. Um, oh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm... This movie is has really sweet a funny as funny as all get out animated beautifully. Oh God, the, um, the the family scenes make me made me remember why I like Brad Bird movies so much. Yeah, because because he still got the family dynamic down pat, and and I'm not sure if he had the cast record. Um, I, I know they do this on the show Bob's Burgers, but they'll they'll all record together in the the same room, um, just to kind of add, it really does kind of add this subtle. Uh, familiarity and intimacy that a lot of times you don't get with animation because they're not usually in the same room recording at the same time. Oh yeah, um, I mean, I remember fucking Chris Rock talking about he he has a bit about and how animated movies are really easy because you just sit uh, in a booth and you say what's the line and then they tell you the line and then you say the line. What uh, what is what is line? What is line? Um, and and I'm like, yeah, that. It perfectly encapsulates why those fucking movies that you star as as a zebra are terrible. <laughs> yeah, um, I I really do think I don't know if that's what they did on this, but they did something. The there was a really good dynamic. The, the actors seemed like they were really playing off of each other. Um, you know, responding in real time. Not that it was ad libbed, but that this felt like a family interacting with itself. Yeah, uh, in a way that was funny that didn't like actually honestly I felt like with Violet which was probably where they were at most at risk of falling back on easy tropes I felt like they made her so much more obviously you know she's she's got the boy from the previous movie that she was interested in and, and that is developed and there is some you know teenage frustration with that but I really felt like they, they you know did their due diligence and made her feel like an actual teenager going through this rather than this like Hollywood idea of the angsty teen who hates her parents and doesn't want anything to do with, you know, the family business or whatever it is and just wants to be on her own. Um, whereas like anytime she does like ha- like her, I renounce superhero scene, it all felt very well motivated. And then she came around at a point when, you know, her family did do something legitimately nice for her. Um, you know, she wasn't complete like, I, I don't know the the scene at the diner where she's like <laughs> coughing and water's coming out of her mouth and like her face is reddening up and <laughs> I, I don't know it all felt a lot more Th- those scenes where the family has time to breathe were for me what most reminded me I was watching a Brad Bird movie in in and I mean that in the best possible way <laughs> yeah I mean, like I, I I liken the the scene with Jack Jack. And fighting the raccoon. Oh yes, which like you could you could take that you could take that. That scene was a out wonderful movie. Short, that was a wonderful short film, and I'm glad they kept the whole thing in. I, I knew that, I knew that was probably, I figured that's probably like prime deleted scene material. Yeah, exactly. You could take that scene out of the movie and not lose anything like plot wise. But I liken that to like Hogarth and 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 uh, the giant like. Yes. Fucking around, you know, like the giant, like jumping in the lake and like splashing, splashing Dean, you know, soaking him wet. Like it's like it doesn't, it does, it does nothing let's but entertain and advance characters, and that's really all it needs to do. And it's really funny. Let's just breathe. You know, like this he, is what? 
Oh, sorry. He lets his movies breathe. Yeah. Sorry, I said that there was a long silence, and I was like, oh, did... Do you know what did here? Nope. Okay. It's like, Mike, you still breathe, Mike? They don't have lungs. They don't have lungs. Jesus. Um, Yeah, no, he, he just, like, gives his characters time to play off each other, and... I, I don't know. It's it's a very like subtle interplay, so it's kind of hard for me to pinpoint, to, you know, uh, to, to pinpoint s- specific ways he does this. But it kind of just shows how artificial so many movie families feel in comparison. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I think all that was present in the original Incredibles, and I think all of that is just as noticeable here which i think is especially surprising because there is a 14 year gap <laughs> where these i assume these actors had next to nothing to do with each other and yet they still they still feel like a family that's seamlessly carried over from the previous film um actually also fun fact um uh jack jack is played by the same actor <laughs> that oh, he really? wasn't that he wasn't the original incredibles huh. all right yeah, which uh, I mean, Dash isn't. Understandably, that that actor is now grown up. Um, but oh, uh, yeah, I didn't. I honestly didn't realize that he sounds just like him. I, I know. Oh, oh, the kid who plays Dash. Yeah, totally right. But yeah. I, I knew that I, it didn't stand out to me. I just knew that they would have to cast someone else because he's not a kid anymore. So he's like, if the actor's grown up, you have to get someone else. But they did a great job recasting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, th- I think my oh, and probably the the two elements of this that I just want to praise the most um, are the score by Michael Giacchino, mm-hmm. um, which I guess the worst thing you could say about it is that it is again maybe a bit derivative of the first film. But for me, <laughs> it actually stood out a lot more here, um, particularly during the like climactic battle on the boat. Um, the use of like you know kind of jazz brass and. Um, you know, really bold sounds that you don't normally hear in contemporary blockbusters, particularly in superhero films. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, like for me, it had all the punch it did um, in the original, and I think it's used a bit more brazenly here. And I, I just really appreciated it. He does the work he does for Pixar is so awesome and varied. Like none of his two scores sound the same. Um, Cause he also did the music for Up and. Um, I believe for Coco recently, Inside Out, um, obviously the original Incredibles. It did for Spider-Man Homecoming and War of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> I mean, he's a big composer, but for, for me, his Pixar scores always stick out the most. Um, mainly, probably for, for, no other re- for no other reason than just Pixar seems to place more emphasis on its, uh, on its score than a lot of modern big budget movies seem to. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, you know, regrettable, but hey, Pixar does a great well, job. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you this. Michael Giancino also did the music for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And <laughs> oh, okay. Well. I saw both of these movies essentially one right after the other. And I remember the score a lot more from one. Uh, well, I'll just say, you know, James, sometimes people need a paycheck. Like Jeff Goldblum, man. Like... Uh, dude, do you know how much money he got to be in there for that? Too much. Little, too much. <laughs> too much. Too much dollars. Too many. He's much. the smartest man uh, in that movie. 
my biggest point of praise for this uh, for, for Incredibles 2 and, and this is going to seem really non-substantive but it is bar none the best action choreography in a superhero film live action or animated that I've ever seen damn it is it I think I'm I'm also I'm tempted to say the train scene in this outdoes the train scene in Spider-Man 2 just in terms of I mean not in terms of I guess the just the impressive fact that the scene in Spider-Man 2 is live action and looks live obviously there's a lot of CG going on but the fact that you have to make it look real and live action is like an added level of challenge that is still impressive but my god did they use every i mean so there are more heroes in this right there there's um like <laughs> what is it there's void who basically has portal powers she can create two portals there's uh what what's his name uh the frog gastric bypass guy <laughs> i can't remember what his name is <laughs> he, he, he basically oh it, a reflux his oh name is, reflux <laughs> his name is reflux and he can like basically just has the worst reflux of all time where he can like spit fire um and these seem like throwaway gags at first but then at at various points like every single one of their powers is utilized in a creative way um i think my personal favorite moment is when uh i think it's it's uh dash or violet i i I thought it was violet but i'm saying dash because there's like they're running very fast but basically they're you know void has been hypnotized and you know they run at her she creates a portal and you see it from the kid's perspective they start running toward her and then suddenly the background just keeps repeating over and over again and you realize they're going through the portals but it's in first person so it looks very disorienting and cool um yeah, that the, the movie is filled like and that's not even that, that's just one that's stuck in my mind but it's by no means like a standout moment there's it's full of really creative touch also, like you that know, you, you think of just how well they were able to balance all these powers right uh-huh whereas like i mean i know it's in in one movie as opposed to like a, a thousand which is what the mcu is but if you compare it to the mcu where it's like they essentially have to make certain characters like fuck off for a few minutes uh otherwise it wouldn't really make sense <laughs> right you know because it's like like the Civil War airplane fight. It's like, where are Vision and Scarlet Witch this entire time? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they show up like like for 10 seconds to do shit. And it's like they could have locked down the entire fight by themselves. Exactly. Um, Whereas in this one, it's like they're very, they're, they're created very consistently. And, uh, you know, they work well against and off one another. So, well, yeah, even the comedic, yeah, like, you, like you're saying, even the comedic relief heroes slash. Uh, antagonists at one point um, are able to use their powers in a way that genuinely feels like a challenge, even though they were just introduced as a joke. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's very cool. Um, and uh, like, if there's one area in this film where I think they just went above and beyond in terms of creativity, it was just it, it's in how to set up these fights including the underminer scene at the very beginning, which you would think is kind of, would be like kind of their, you know, their palate cleanse, like kind of the thing that would set up the rest of the film. You wouldn't it expect it to appetite, be per- right? particularly ambitious, but like, holy shit, man, they, they don't fuck around. 
<laughs> even there, it, it, even to the point where, like, you know, when you go into the underground city, there the it's not an underground city. The building collapses underground, and there's just a shot in there. It's, it's stationary. It's not like one of the action moments, but it just looked like you could see the gorgeous. It, it looked like a gorgeous uh, concept art, yeah. um, and like isolated as an image, it looked amazing. Uh, better than the moment in the film even demanded. <laughs> So, I don't know. I, I think that what made it such an exhilarating film for me to watch, despite not being a particularly ambitious one, is that there's clearly a lot of, like, all the same talent and ingenuity is at work here. It's just not necessarily on the grander elements of storytelling that would have made this, I think, as much of a masterpiece as the first film was. Um, it, it And honestly, I think I would be more forgiving of all the things that we've held against it at this point if this came out like even like five years after the original <laughs> but it's just if you're going to revisit these characters after 14 years it this doesn't seem on a storytelling level as satisfactory as it should be i think that's just my fundamental problem with it but that said i, I still think people should go watch it just it's just just know that it's a a a really good sequel to a classic film like by now i think it's fair to call the original classic right and that you know it it uh, just d- don't expect 14 years worth of build up to be worth it just go in expecting a, a a solid entry from pixar i i think that that's i think it meets that bar at least yeah, for meets, me, I think I'd be or, less hard on it if it wasn't by Brad Bird, <laughs> whom we both yeah. know I think, to be capable of, of more than this. And I mean, it's it's not a it's not a good you know like two film skid of Tomorrowland and Incredibles two. I mean, t- of course, it's it's entirely unfair to even mention those two in the same sentence. Like this is leagues I, above I, Tomorrowland. It's so much better than Tomorrowland. Yeah, <laughs> but you had. I mean, even if you don't want to consider Ghost Protocol, which I haven't actually seen, but as it's far as I can great. tell, it's really great. Yeah, um, I actually loved the fifth Mission Impossible. Like, I so I have no doubt that the fourth one's great too. I, I'm like weirdly into this series, despite the fact that like, I've I don't really I don't think it. the Mission Impossible movies were good until Ghost Protocol. I, I think that's when people really started paying attention, and like, fucking Rogue Nation was was. Honestly, the best like blockbuster action film of the year it came out. It was fantastic. Oh wait, um, unless it came out the same year as Fury Road, which I don't remember. But it was the best uh, spy movie that came out that year. Definitely, it was the best uh, James Bond movie that came out that year. It was way better than the yeah. It was far, was there another James Bond film that came out that year? James? Skyfall. Came I don't know. What I, I don't know what you're talking about, James. <laughs> um, uh, but even even disregarding that. You have like three films in a row, Iron Giant, Ratatouille, or sorry, Iron Giant, Incredibles, and Ratatouille that could make a claim to be the greatest animated film ever made. Yeah, um, I mean they're they're essentially unassailable movies. Two out of three of those won best best animated feature, and the the, the third the, one, the, one uh, the Iron did. Giant, came out before there was an Oscar for best animated feature and suffered from absolutely shit marketing by Warner Bros. By so, a studio that didn't want it, so it basically yeah. had everything. <laughs> against it and was still a masterpiece um 
So yes, uh, holding it to that standard. But I mean, I don't know. Like to me, that's just. It's, it's, it's a little dishonest, right? It's a little dishonest just because I can still see so much of, of Brad Bird's signature in here, which I guess might make that all the more, like, you know, make it all the more hard to stomach. Um, but I don't know. I still see that talent at work. I I think he's still, he's still got it as a visual stylist. He's still got it as someone who understands family dynamics and – um, is one of the few people in Hollywood able to depict child characters who are both not um, who who both don't feel like they're glossed over and like you know don't have any growing pains or typical problems that children have, but also that he's not falling back on lazy stereotypes um, that movies and TV love to use for kid characters. Um, so I don't know, like with all that talent at play, it's hard for me to not recommend it. So, um, but yes, it's not the masterpiece that any of those three films are, but God, I don't know. Still solid. <laughs> uh, God, I, I was on a bit of a, um, a bit of a tangent in my mind because I just read that apparently Brad Bird, Brad Bird turned down the force awakens, which in and of itself what? isn't. Yeah, he was offered to direct The Force Awakens, apparently. And huh. in and of itself, him turning down the Star Wars, his turning down the Star Wars Force Awakens, like, whatever, if he doesn't want to make a Star Wars movie, he doesn't want to make a Star Wars movie. You know, that's good on him for not, you know, falling into the Hollywood machine, whatever. Um, he turned down The Force Awakens because in order to direct it, he would have had to have dropped Tomorrowland. Okay, look. Okay. <laughs> no, look. Shit on Tomorrowland all you want, as you should. It's a bad yeah. movie. Yeah. But I respect someone who's so devoted to this passion project of theirs that they are willing to give up literally the opportunity of multiple lifetimes. Like, <laughs> like, I like, I don't how many people get a film would love to be in the position where they can turn down Star Wars. <laughs> well, but but who would? And I'm look. I'm saying even though, regardless of the final product, the reason he backed out of the Force Awakens, I respect the fact that he believed so much in this project that he gave up the opportunity of a lifetime. I mean, I say multiple lifetimes, actually, because, like, this is not – you're not going to see a film with that much cultural buildup in a long time, um, if ever. So he gave that up for this and then had everyone proceed to shit on it. Again, rightfully so. But, um, <laughs> like, I do respect that. I'm no, just, it's true. I, I, I do I, too. I, it's one. It's just one of those decisions that, in hindsight, it's probably going to be questioned. It, it'll definitely be questioned, and it should be. But I think I would rather have uh, uh, someone like Brad Bird say, like, you know, no, this is what I really wanted to do, and you can take that for what it is. But you are getting fully who I am as a creator. Like that's what. That's what my body of work is offering you. I'm not compromising where I feel like I need to be true to myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and 
I don't buy and to on the to be on the record, I don't buy the theory that um that Brad Bird was forced into doing Incredibles two because Tomorrowland was a flop, but Disney wanted their money back. <laughs> no, I I haven't bu- I haven't bought I'm, that. I'm not saying you did either. I'm, I'm just like. Well, mostly what I'm saying is that I haven't bought that that Brad Bird in any sense didn't want to make this movie, right? And that which goes back to what you're saying about you know his passion and conviction. Like if he didn't want to make this movie, he wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um. So I mean, that's our final thoughts. I guess that's my yeah. final thoughts. I mean, frankly, I'm glad he did make it. Yeah. So that, that's all. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> um. So what are we doing next week? Uh, did you do you know if any theaters around here are still playing First Reformed? I'm gonna have to check because I am. It just I think it just left the Pickford here, so I know it's kind of on the tail end of its theatrical run. Um, but Seattle is also more, you know. There is an AMC. It looks like it's the one in U District that is playing it. Let me see if um, I can get in at a time that would work. Yeah, I mean, dude. Do you think it's not? It's. I don't think it's going to be our only option, because there is that Mr. Rogers documentary. Won't you be my neighbor? Oh shit! I have been dying to see that actually. Mm-hmm. So it looks like uh, first uh, first perform is going to be a little tricky, but won't you be my neighbor? Is wide open. Um, I, cool. I have a, quite a few opportunities to see that. So, um, well, and- cool. Let's play for one of those and maybe something else entirely different. It's 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 exciting here talking to the movie. You never know. <laughs> Life cycle box of chocolates. I get it. Thank you. You you've, you've been on the internet to hate Forrest Gump. Best fucking movie ever. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, uh, that is all for our episode. Uh, join us next week. It's going to be awesome. You can follow me on Twitter at Jam Cozy, and you can follow my uh, not so as as much updated as it was uh, letterbox page, Flying Dad Bomb, or just James Cozanides. You'll find me. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Michael Leiden eight nine two. It's my handle. Don't wear it out. <laughs> People would have to try really hard to wear that out. I, uh, I'd love to see that. It's just like so many people go on my Twitter that it uh, it just like turns into a bunch of zeros and ones. <laughs> well, I think it really wears out my handle. I don't know. Okay. Um, cool. Well, uh, bye. But bye. <laughs> it's a great show this week. Give me a great show next week. And as always, thank you for watching. Listening. Listening. Fuck. This is why I can't let you do the outro.